Good evening to everyone. It's good to see everyone at our midweek service. I have a simple study for us to consider this evening. It's one of Jesus' primary invitations and commands. And the first time that it is found is in John chapter 1 and verse 43. And there, Jesus, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. This would become something Jesus would say several times throughout his ministry. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, every single one of the gospel records includes multiple times when Jesus in some form or some fashion, in some way, said to those around him, follow me. It was an invitation. It was an invitation for someone to come and to literally follow him, as with Philip and some of the others we'll talk about tonight. It was an invitation for them to come and be his disciples, to begin learning from him, to follow him, to be with him, to see him, to be able to become like him. It was his great invitation, but like Jesus' invitations, the invitation for salvation, it is also a command. And in that, we see really the primary goal of discipleship. What it truly means to be a Christian is to follow Christ. And so, like I said, there were many, many times that Jesus said, follow me in some way or the other. And so tonight, I just want to look at several of those that we find throughout the Gospels and see what is entailed in the concept and the idea, at least from what Jesus said, about following Him. So first of all, of course, Jesus gave that initial invitation to Philip. As In John chapter 1, we read about a few of the very first disciples that were called. But then later, Jesus would call some of these same disciples we read about in John 1, apparently to a full-time service, and that's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. We read there, and this is a familiar passage, but we'll go ahead and read that. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus came, he came to seek followers. That was why Jesus came. He came to establish a kingdom. Now, yes, Jesus came to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to offer us forgiveness of sins, but that forgiveness is offered and extended through his invitation to become a part of his kingdom, to become citizens in the kingdom of heaven, to become children of God, to become his followers. And so Jesus' purpose and Jesus' mission was to bring people that were willing to listen, people that were willing to submit to him and bring them to himself so that they would follow him and become like him. Now, part of what that looks like is that then those that come to the Lord, those that obey the Lord and begin following Him as their disciples, they have that same mission. The purpose of being a disciple is to become like the teacher. So in Christianity, our goal is to become like Jesus. And if Jesus came to teach the truth and impart the truth and to tell the world about the opportunity of salvation, then those that are His followers have that same mandate. They have that same goal. They should have that same desire. I know sometimes it's easy for us to kind of get cozy in our Christianity, to get cozy in our salvation, and we go through what we know we need to do, but we're just not very comfortable with trying to share the gospel with others or trying to influence others or trying to bring others to the church, trying to bring others to Jesus. 
But that is one of the cardinal elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, again, our abilities may look differently. What we're able to do and how we're able to do that may vary person to person. But each one of us, if we're following Jesus, should be trying in some form, some fashion, to be fishers of men. Following Jesus and following his desire for the souls of others to be saved. Following Jesus and the desire to bring others to the truth. And so through our examples, through our opportunities to serve others in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, and using opportunities to speak the truth, when we have opportunities to answer questions or share the truth of the gospel in some way, we should be seeking to bring others to Jesus. In fact, we see that with those very first disciples. When you go back and read John chapter 1, you read about the first few people Jesus called. There were two unnamed disciples at first, and then we find out that one of those disciples, these are the ones that left John, and they come and they're following Jesus, and they spend the day with him. And then John tells us that one of them, whose name was Andrew, went and got his brother Peter. And he brought Peter to Jesus. And presumably the other disciple did the same thing, and that was probably James or John. And so they go and they bring someone. And even Philip, who we read about in the opening verse, when Jesus told Philip, follow me, we're told that he went and he found a man named Nathaniel. And he said, we found him who is the Messiah, the one that Moses wrote about in all the law and the prophets. And Nathaniel came to Jesus. Now, Nathaniel was questionable at first. He wasn't sure that any good thing could come from Nazareth. But Philip just said, well, come and see. Just come and see for yourself. And sometimes that's as simple as it is. It's just inviting people to the church services, inviting people to a Bible study, inviting people to a conversation. But the key is trying to find others that will follow Jesus. Even the tax collector did that. In Matthew chapter 9, we have Matthew was called with this same invitation. Jesus came by his tax booth and he said, follow me. And Levi or Matthew left the tax booth and he began following Jesus. And then we also read that Matthew held a feast after doing away with his job and means of income. You'd think he might have been sparse on doing something like this, but he held a feast. He held a banquet and other tax collectors and sinners came. And I think the reason tax collectors and sinners came is that's probably who Matthew knew. But he was following Jesus now and he was trying to bring others to the Lord also. And so if we want to follow Jesus, one thing that we should be trying to do is to bring others to the Lord also. But also following Jesus means that we are going to have spiritual priorities. In Matthew 8 verses 18 through 22, it says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a lesson, by the way, that when we're following Jesus, we need to count the cost and make sure that we're willing to pay the price that it requires to follow Jesus, and we should. And then verse 21, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, if you're like me, that's always been a bit of a troubling 
passage, it's kind of harsh. It seems a little bit harsh. And Jesus here isn't saying that it's wrong to partake in funerals or wrong to bury our dead. In fact, we see later that Lazarus had been buried and Jesus even went to the tomb. Of course, he was going to bring Lazarus back. But what Jesus is teaching here is that we, if we are going to follow him, we have to have the right priorities. The problem is many people want to follow Jesus, and I think they really do want to follow Jesus, but they want to follow Jesus on their own terms, and they want to follow Jesus with their own priorities. They want to follow Jesus once they're making enough money, or once they're settled in at their job, or once their relationship settles down, or whatever it might be. There's all these other things that they feel like they've got to get in place before they can then go and truly, wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And Jesus uses a pretty bold example here. This man says, well, I need to go bury my father. And Jesus says, you let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. This man was putting something earthly, something less important than following Jesus before following Jesus, as important as it was. And we're going to see some more of this. And if we want to follow Christ, we have to be willing to put first things first. We have to love Him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is going to even, even mean putting Jesus before our friends, even sometimes before our families, and perhaps even our own safety. In fact, in Matthew 10, we find this encouragement to follow me come up again. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is teaching here that Christians, again, must put first things first. Now, when Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace to the earth, that sounds a little strange. After all, Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. Also, we are called to be peaceful people. In Romans 12, 18, uh, Christians are encouraged. Paul says, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It is incumbent upon us as followers of Christ to be peace lovers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We should love peace, desire peace, pursue peace, seek peace in every way. But Jesus also taught the simple truth that even when we seek peace and even when we live peaceably, we have to be ready for the truth that there are going to be people that don't love the truth, they don't want the truth, and they actually respond quite drastically against the truth. And sometimes that brings about anything but peace. Sometimes people will get angry with us. Sometimes people will hate us. Sometimes maybe even people in our own family will turn away from us or reject us. That's not a very peaceful situation. But Jesus is warning his disciples, there are going to be times when as peaceful as you are, as loving as you are, as kind as you are, there are going to be people that hate you. 
Jesus would tell this message to his disciples again later. He would say, if the world hates me, the world's going to hate you. And we have to be ready for that. And we have to be prepared for that and ready to stand up and make a stand for the truth and continue following Jesus. Even when the peace in our lives is robbed, even from the places where peace should reign supreme, even when those closest to us, Hopefully, I hope none of us here, I don't know everybody's story. I hope nobody here has had to face this, but I know there have been people. I've known people who have obeyed the gospel and then they didn't get to speak to their family anymore. Their own fathers, their own mothers, or their own children turned against them because they obeyed the gospel. I'm thankful I haven't had to live through that, but I know people have. And we need to all be ready, whatever the per, whoever the person is, whatever the relationship, we follow Christ first. That's part of what it means to follow Christ, is to follow Him even when no one else will follow Him with us. Now, like I said at the beginning, our goal is to bring others to Jesus. We want to influence others. We want to bring others to follow Jesus. But we have to be willing to follow Him alone if necessary because we will follow Him before all others. Along with that, Jesus talks about taking up our cross and following Him. That involves more than just the loss of relationship. That could include any number of types of persecution. Paul told Timothy that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus certainly suffered persecution. He literally bore His cross and He calls upon us to be willing to bear ours. Whatever that may be. And maybe it's the loss of a relationship or a friend. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's loss of income. Maybe it's loss of freedom. Maybe it's even loss of life like it was for Jesus. But whatever it is that our cross must be or might be, we are called, if we truly want to follow Him, to pick that cross up every day, as Luke tells us, to take our cross daily and follow Him. And that sounds difficult, and it can be difficult. It is difficult. But we know that the path when we're following Jesus will also lead to eternal life. And so when Jesus calls us to be willing to lose relationships, when Jesus calls us to be willing to lose our own life, as we're going to see in just a little bit, it's not that He's calling us to lose anything. He's calling us to follow Him to the greatest gain imaginable. But also, along with this idea, when we follow Jesus, we must follow Him in a path of self-denial. In Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, it says, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is a passage very similar to the one that we previously read in the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus teaches on another area in which we may have to take up our cross, a way that we may have to suffer, and that is simply in denying ourself. That can take form in many, uh, that can take many different types of form. That may be denying self of some of the pleasures of this life that we seek to follow, but we deny ourselves because they are called out as sinful in the Word of God. That may be denying some of the ambitions of this life. Jesus speaks specifically about the idea of profit 
He says, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? There are some people that lived the Christian life that were rich. Of course, there were faithful people in the Old Testament that were abundantly wealthy. People like Abraham and David even became wealthy and others. There are some in the New Testament like Lydia who was a seller of purple and others who appear to have had some decent measure of wealth. But truth be told, when we follow Christ, it may be true that we'll not make nearly what we could make without following Christ. If we're not giving to the church and giving to other others as befits a Christian, if we're not working the long hours because we're devoting our time in other ways, if we're not willing to take some careers because they would interfere with our ability, if we're not going to be unethical to make extra money because we simply won't be dishonest, there are lots of reasons why a Christian may never make nearly as much money as those that are not Christians could make. Now I think we recognize we'll still have more than enough and we'll be taken care of. But we also know the pull of greed and covetousness and the desire to make more. But Christ calls us to deny our selfish ambitions that would focus on our own desires and our own wants. And of course that can take different styles than just money. That's just one example. But we also, we must always remember to follow Christ, we must be willing to give up our own self-interests. Now, Paul put it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in the world that we live in, in the American culture especially, where we have the American dream, and that's uh, hammered into us from a very early age. We're taught to dream big. We're taught to reach for the stars. We're taught that we can do anything that we want to do, that we can become anything that we want to be. And in some of that, there may be some encouragement and some help. But I think as Christians, we need to be very, very careful because the American dream is a very self-centered dream. And it's about my happiness, my desires, and my dreams. And that's not a Christian life. The Christian life is about Christ's will. That doesn't mean that we can't find fulfilling careers and happiness and hobbies and all the other things. But first and foremost, our goal is to serve Christ. Our ambitions are placed beneath Christ's ambitions. Our dreams are placed as subservient to Christ's goals. Like Paul said, it is not Nate who lives. It's not my desires, my wants, my aspirations. It is Christ. And I should be living my life to fulfill the will, the mission, and the purpose of Christ and His kingdom of which I am graciously allowed to be a part. That's a sacrifice, but it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. If we're following our own ambitions and our own desires and our own dreams... We're following the way of the world, or we're following self, but we're not truly following Christ. Well, one more example that we'll use from the book of Matthew. The rich young ruler, you remember him in Matthew 19 when he came to Jesus and asked what thing he needed to do. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, and he was able to say, I've kept these from my youth up. And in Matthew 19 and verse 21, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Now, I think this was a unique situation. Jesus was pointing something out that was wrong in this man's life. Jesus did not give the command to all of his disciples to leave everything that they had in order to follow him. We see that's true because the women that followed Jesus actually supported Jesus and the disciples from their funds and from their wealth. So they hadn't given all of that up and given that away in order to follow Jesus. We see examples of other disciples of Jesus that still had possessions during his ministry and later on during the years of the church. So why did Jesus require this man to go sell everything he had? I believe the simple and straightforward answer is his belongings were the one thing that stood between him and service to God. His belongings and his wealth were the one thing, it was the one thing that kept him from wholeheartedly serving God. Now, he had been a good man. He had followed the law. He had obeyed a lot of the law. But there was something in between him and full devotion to the Lord. And that meant there was one thing between him and the ability to truly, wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And Jesus said, you get rid of it. Now, our one thing may be something different. Maybe we don't have a lot of money and a lot of possessions that stand between us and God. But maybe it's a career. Or maybe it's some of the other things we've talked about, like a relationship. Or some vice or temptation. But whatever it is that possibly stands between us and following Jesus wholeheartedly, we must get rid of. Following Jesus is a path that's going to require us to get rid of some things and to lose some things. But, as I already alluded to, it's a path that brings us so much more. The tragic thing about, what Jesus, about the situation with this rich young ruler is Jesus didn't tell him to go and sell all that he had and give it away to the poor to receive nothing in return. He said, you go and you sell what you possess and you give it to the poor. And he said, and you will have treasure in heaven. But this man, as good as he may have been, as wise as he may have been, was like so many people, and he was incredibly short-sighted. You see, he possessed the wealth of this world now, and that meant more to him than the wealth of eternal life and the treasures of heaven. So you see, Jesus asks us to give up quite a bit, and Jesus calls us to be quite sacrificial to follow him. But not out of some mean spirit, not out of just trying to make it hard on us. But Jesus offers us so much more. Might we lose relationships to follow Christ? We may. But we'll gain a family in Christ. We'll gain adoption as sons or daughters of God. We'll gain the greatest friend we could possibly ever desire in the Lord Jesus. Yes, we may give up some, but we'll get so much more. We may give up riches and treasures, but we'll gain eternal heavenly treasures that won't rust, that can't be stolen, that won't be done away with when we take our final breath, but will last for all eternity. We may give up our physical safety. We may even have to give up our life if it were to come to it. 
But Jesus promises us resurrection. Jesus promises us a home in heaven where there will be no more tears and no pain and no sickness. Jesus promises us eternal life. You see, everything that we have to give up to follow Jesus, Jesus will repay abundantly beyond our comprehension if we'll truly and wholeheartedly follow Him. And so as we think about that tonight, the question that I must ask myself and you must ask yourself is, who am I following? Am I following self? Am I doing what the world tells me to do and captaining my own ship and guiding my own fate? Or am I following the world? When I think I'm following myself, that's really who I'm probably following, is just the world and the ways of the world and more frighteningly still, the prince of the power of the world. Or can I say that I'm following Jesus? Now, none of us can say that we have or are following him perfectly, of course, but can we honestly say that that's who we're truly following? That our goal, that our desire is to give Him sincere faithfulness and wholehearted devotion and that day by day we're seeking to follow Him. That means to learn from Him and to be like Him. To make His goals our goals, His desires our desires. Are we truly disciples and followers of Jesus? If not, then what changes do we need to make? What changes are there in your life that you need to make in order to follow Jesus? Like the rich young ruler, is there something in your life that you need to get rid of? What things do you need to let go of to follow Jesus? Or if we won't do that, then we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we're going to choose to hold on to that is more valuable and more important than serving the Lord and following Him? None of us ever say it that way. But when we choose to not follow Jesus wholeheartedly, that's what it means. It means that there is something that we value more, that we prize more greatly, that we love more than following Jesus. Is there anything like that in our lives? If so, then I hope that we'll get rid of those things, however painful it may be, and trust in the Lord to guide us and to bring us so much more than we will ever give up in this life below. And I hope that we'll all give ourselves to following Jesus each and every day. Well, we'll let that be the study for this evening. I hope that it's been a, I know it's been a simple study, but I hope it's been an encouraging one to remind us to follow Jesus wholeheartedly throughout our daily lives. As we bring the lesson to a close, we have an opportunity to extend the invitation. Perhaps someone here needs to obey the gospel and desires to do so. And if that's you, then if you believe in Jesus and are ready to repent of your sins, confess Him as the Son of God, then it's time for you to be baptized for the remission of your sins, and we hope you'll make that choice if you haven't already. If there is a Christian here who's followed that plan, but there's sin in your life and you'd like the prayers of the church, then we'd be happy to pray with you and for you if that be your desire. So if there be one in need, we'd invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.